Beatrice Fisher is a life coach on Twitter from Almania. Through her coaching business as well as on Twitter, she helps women overcome imposter syndrome and procrastination, as well as helps them build a life of meaning by building confidence. In this episode, we talked about various topics from meditation and Beatrice's personal growth journey to women's literature, as well as even men and women's roles in society. Later in this episode, we talked about how anybody can overcome the burdens of imposter syndrome and procrastination and how they can build confidence in their lives by finding their strengths. This was a super insightful episode. Um, I had a lot of fun and learned a ton, so I think you will too. So without further ado, let's jump into it. Okay, we're live. How are you doing today, Beatrice? I am very, very good. Cold, but good. What's the, the temperature in Almania right now? Alemania. Alemania, <laughs> sorry. The pronunciation's not good. No, it's good. Um, how, how many do we have? I think that right now it's seven, three or seven. I'm not sure, but it feels it's freezing and I don't deal very well with cold. Yeah, yeah. I'm the same way. I think so. I think three or seven, like that range is probably like 40 to 50 Fahrenheit. I'm trying to do the conversion in my head. Um, but right now, I know this because I checked it yesterday and it was the same temperature. Where I'm at in Chicago area is negative six Celsius. So it's like, it's crazy. I was just outside for a walk, I was freezing. Yeah. You know what? I started jogging now. Um... I avoided it for years, uh, going jogging in the cold. And this year I said, okay, I'm just going to buy myself like really warm clothes and I'm just going to go right out there. And my endurance is, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, like, do you, do you uh, work out in the cold? Yeah, I'm actually going for a run with a friend after this, after this podcast. Okay, so I don't know if you have noticed, but your endurance is way, way higher than it is in summer because of the temperature. So that I have been enjoying. For that, I can be thankful yet now in winter, but all the rest, I hate. <laughs> yeah, no, me too. It's it's interesting because it's so cold, but once you get out there and start going, like it's actually really nice and refreshing, I feel like. Um, yeah. But why did you start getting into running and when was this? Oh, this is years ago. Um, why? I mean, I never liked it, but I think it was the only sport that I could see that my mm, that I could actually feel that I was getting better. And that feeling for me was just addicting. And now I just, and also it clears my head in a different way. Um, I don't know. I just enjoy the feeling a lot, but I'm not a runner. I don't do marathons. I mean, I did like this Adidas 5k last year, but no, um, it's really, it's really just for clearing my head. Same here. Like that has been one of the biggest takeaways since I've started running. I only started running like a couple months ago. Um, but now I try to run every time with no music or like no podcast or anything, just so it's like me and my thoughts. Do you do you do the same or do you listen? No, to no, <laughs> I need music. I need music and I cannot do podcasts. Uh, when I do trainings at home, I do podcasts. But no, running has to be with with music. It's um. Yeah, it's a must. I cannot. <laughs> I gotcha. I I will say like try once. You try to go like uh like a mile or I guess a kilometer or two and uh just have like no inputs and just be like you can get super present because all your all you're hearing is just like the pounding of your feet, like you hear your breath, like it's very interesting. And then you're it's like a it's almost like an active meditation in a way. I wanted to say, yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, it's uh it's pretty fun, but I do I I will say I do use music like if I'm going for a harder run or like I want to push my time, like then I need a little extra motivation. Yes. 
yeah. that's that's true I was talking to a friend yesterday that I need like that kind of motivation through music in order to have a little bit more endurance but um but yeah I guess how I, I can try I do that kind of meditation but while I'm walking I like to hear the uh the steps um that I take and that is actually pretty interesting and very soothing and calming and yeah I'm also very into meditation and it has so many benefits um so yeah I guess I will try it and I'll let you know definitely definitely I'm uh I'm really into trying to walk with no inputs too just to like get very present and it's like this this walking meditation um and I've actually over the past year or so I finally have gotten into meditation I used to always look at it as like woo woo like only weirdos did it like I have a grandma who's like very out there and like very spiritual and she would always meditate and my whole family would always be like she's just crazy um so I thought it was like weird to meditate but now that I've started like the benefits are huge so I'm curious when did you start and why did you start oh so this is pretty interesting because I know that a lot of people struggle with um with meditation like starting the the habit because it's really it's kind of boring you just have to sit and well it depends you know there are different types of meditation you have silent meditation you have um like a compassionate uh, meditation which is uh where you wish love for someone and you just think about somebody else and how much you love them and then you have guided meditations. And the silent one, I think for most people is the one that they struggle with. But for me, it was completely the opposite. It was three years ago, I was in a stage in my life that was really bad. I was in a marriage that I wasn't happy. Uh, my daughter was two years old and it was a moment that I felt like my entire life was just breaking. I hated my career. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I was pretty stuck. I didn't know how to get out uh, financially um, from my other um, career. And and yeah, again, I was going through a divorce while living with my ex. And that is, I mean, for anyone who's listening, I don't know um, if they are living with a person that they've just broken up. It is so hard. And I had so many things in my mind. There was so much doubt and um, yeah, it was pretty tough. And I remember a girlfriend told me that I should try meditating and I couldn't connect my breathing. Like I couldn't, I couldn't stay focused. And what I did was, do you know this? Headphones that go like directly into your ears. They have like this little, um, um it's like earbuds I don't know how to describe them and I just put them on and put a timer for 10 minutes and I remember directly connecting to my meditation and it was like I had no thoughts and for 10 minutes I could just completely shut out what everything else that was going on in my life and I remember enjoying it so much and it became so strong that it was a moment that almost felt like nirvana it was like this one time in my day that I could be calm and just connected with myself and yeah and then I just kept going and now it's been three years now I'm not so um I don't do it on a daily basis I think I would say like six times a week five times a week um and funny enough now that I'm out of that situation I've never had that much connection on a meditation that I had before and mm-hmm. those that moment was just instant but yeah, it, it was a lifesaver. It was really what kept me sane and grounded and helped me go through that. Definitely. And I can totally see how stepping away for just 10 minutes like was so important and impactful. I mean, I even I feel this in my life, like the constant stressors of like school and like all these obligations, just being able to like shut out the world for like literally only 10 minutes and I know a lot of people say like I I don't have time to meditate like you can block off like don't stop scrolling social media for 10 minutes just put everything away and just like try to connect with your breathing and it can be so impactful um and I, I think another thing that was interesting from what you said is you didn't even have any thoughts during those 10 minutes 
And I feel like that's pretty rare because yeah. I know for me, like usually when I'm trying to connect with my breathing, oftentimes like thoughts will pop up out of nowhere. And the challenge is to acknowledge that the thought is there, observe it, don't take any action on it and don't judge yourself for like losing focus, but just come back to the focus. So I think it's fascinating that you were just like straight into like this, this like enlightened state. <laughs> but I was desperate back then. I, re I remember being very, very stressed out. And I remember having very high anxiety. I think that my mind just needed it. It was more of a necessity. And again, I haven't been able to reach that level of meditation ever again, even though I've been consistent all this time. Um, but yeah, and also what you say is super interesting that people say that they don't have time. And I mean, it's just going to bed 10 minutes earlier or just going to bed and then just laying there and trying to focus to your breathing. That's all it takes. You don't have to have a fancy um, sitting areas or a cushion or whatever. You just need to find a place where you feel comfortable and where you just shut down all your thoughts or even the walking meditation, what you say, just trying to shut down those voices that are, that, that, um, I remember I heard a psychologist call it um, the inner chatter. Yes. You know, it's like this constant voices and questions that you have the entire day and they just pile up day after day and it just really it wears you down so I think that making it a conscious practice even when you're in the bus subway going to class um, going to work it works I mean you just have to be a little bit more intentional about it definitely and I think that's another great point because I think for somebody who hasn't meditated and I felt this before I first did like it seems like this huge thing that you have to like sit on a fancy cushion and like like put your hands in a certain way and like sit this yeah. way but it's not necessarily like that um like you said like before you go to bed instead of maybe just like scrolling your phone and like passing out once your eyes close like just put the phone away and just sit there and just try to connect with your breathing like that is meditation going outside for a walk with no phone or headphones is meditation exactly i heard a funny quote it was like showering is accidental meditation because it, <laughs> it's the only time where you're like away from all the inputs and it's just you and your thoughts and that's why so many people are like I have my best ideas in the shower and it's like yeah, yeah because you're finally not distracting yourself with all these inputs so like exactly. it's like you're able to tap into these parts of your brain and these parts of your consciousness that are never able to express themselves because you're always stimulated and always distracted exactly exactly so did this original meditation three years ago did this spark your kind of transformation into like personal growth and self-development or was that already happening before that was happening before um I stumbled into coaching exactly around that time it was like a very cathartic moment like everything sort of broke Yet at the same time, like this, this seed was planted in starting this new career or this new path. And um, when I started, first of all, I needed, I, I felt like I needed to get out of my old career. So for the people who don't know, I am a former chef. I worked in kitchens for 10 years and it was pretty hard I didn't like it I didn't enjoy it I had pretty bad experiences with uh, sexism and it was just not nice and the hours and the physical it's so draining to just stand for almost 11 hours a day 10 hours a day um, and yeah I was I just wasn't happy and then I stumbled upon coaching through a book that I really enjoyed and I was like, okay, you actually can design your life in a way that is aligned with what you truly want. I had no idea before. And I took an online course and I thought to myself, oh my God, like why aren't these things being taught at school? How to build habits, how to um, set goals and how to break them into tiny pieces so that you can actually achieve them and what is truly what you want through 
all of these questions. And yeah, and then it's when I realized, of course, that I was in a relationship that I wasn't happy with, that I needed and could change my career path. And yeah, so then everything started to change. And the meditation, of course, just helped keep everything grounded and helped me stay super sane. But no, that had started before, actually, yeah. Okay, and what was the book that like changed this mindset for you? Oh, it is, it's such an entertaining book. It's from uh, Jen Sincero, or I think she says Sincero, uh, because it's an Italian last name, uh, called How to Be a Badass. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna, I've not heard of it, but I'm gonna write it down. I like the title. It is so, it's super easy to read. It, it's full of humor and um, you have like different chapters and it's really well written. And I love her. She has this really great voice and she is actually a success coach. I think um, she does pretty well in her field and she has a ton of other books, how to be a badass with money and habits. And yeah, so that one just completely changed my life. Um, I'm, I'm very, very thankful for that. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's why I was so excited to do this conversation, because um, you're the first like female I've had on the podcast. And so I'm able to like get these different perspectives because. Yes. So this author of this book obviously is, is, a, is a woman and I don't know. I've only read maybe a couple of books that are written by women. Um which is not good. Like I should definitely be getting more perspective. So I appreciate, yes. <laughs> I appreciate the suggestion. One book that I did read um, by a girl that I loved and I actually, I've gifted it to my mom and she's read it. And I tried to get my sister to read it, but she, I don't think she read it. Um, it's called 101 Essays to Change the Way You Think by oh, Brianna Wiest. Brianna Wiest. Yeah. Oh, I, I like became such a big fan of hers. Um, and she's amazing. I actually have her other book sitting on my bookshelf called uh, The Mountain Is You. Yeah. You read it? No, I haven't read that one, but I do have the 101 essays. And well, first of all, big, big kudos on the fact that you are interested in reading more women's literature. Mm -hmm. I think that this is so important. And this, this is something that I want to clarify because I know that your audience is um, mostly male. Um, it's not starting from this standpoint that um, like this feminist, super aggressive that here we go and we have to be like men are bad and they are taking over, like they climb up the ladder and they have all these jobs, et cetera, et cetera. It's more about living, living more equally, understanding the other person's point of view. And we, women are incredibly insightful and there's so much literature and so many interesting and great women out there that are doing so okay sorry my English sometimes uh, gets in the way they're doing so well in their jobs and I think that it's um it's a must to give them credit for that so yeah that's great to hear uh from you and um no I haven't read uh the mountain from from her but I have uh read the 101 essays and it's it's amazing. And I can give you so many other book recommendations by, by women. I'm going to write them to you afterwards. I was going to ask, I was going to say, after this conversation, remind me because I want to get some more suggestions because now that we're talking about it, I believe probably more listeners of this episode might be females than have been in the past. Because like, I know my sister would probably be more inclined to listen to this, for example, yeah, of course. because like, oh, there's a, a female life coach. Like, that'd be so interesting for her rather than just like all these guys like over and over. So um, I'm, I really appreciate you coming on. It's really exciting. Um, but right. another thing about like the opposite perspectives, like, so growing up, like throughout high school, I was like a big time jock. Like all I really cared about was sports. And so my whole friend group was like 30 guys, like all guys. And like, I never really had friends that were females and I really only saw girls in a way of like, okay, you either like associate with them, like at a party or maybe you like date them. And I never was like friends with girls. And so my perception on that has changed so much in college now 
I have so many close friends that are girls now and they've like totally reshaped the way I think about so many things like in terms of being empathetic and like feeling and tapping into emotions I feel like guys don't do a great job of that in general um so I, I really I'm excited to like keep keep becoming more friends with girls and keep reading more women's literature yeah that is so great to hear but it's so interesting because it reminds me of my country so I am I'm South American I was born in in Chile and there society does not believe in in opposite sexes friendships they just don't believe in it it's exactly what you say you either date them or they are just acquaintances right like the the girlfriend of my my best friend or um or women that you work with but you are not actually friends and it wasn't until I came to Germany that I realized that that can happen as well. So I think it's a very cultural thing. And also as you grow up and also the generation is changing as well. So I am very, very happy for that because you can only understand someone else's point of view through their experiences and what you share with them. And that can only happen in friendships where you have this vulnerable uh, talks and when you start to share your uh, life experiences and everything that's happened to you and I think it's it's very necessary if we keep uh, putting those apart like breaking those relationships it's just not going to happen definitely so, yeah. yeah that's so true and like another thing from a guy's perspective oftentimes we suppress like that vulnerability and that raw emotion amongst each other because like as males, especially the context that I have been in a lot of my life, like sports and like jocks and like you want to you want to be tough and you don't want to like show emotion. Right. But it's so important to have people in your life that you're able to do that with. Like, fortunately, I have a couple guys that I can do that with, but it's limited. I have found it so much easier to open up in front of girls and so for any guys out there that really like strictly have just guy friends and they don't have a lot of girlfriends that are just friends like I highly recommend finding yeah. because it's a lot easier to be vulnerable with them for whatever reason I'm not sure why might be some psychology there well of course there's a why I mean just think about it like women were raised to, to build community. So we were the ones that would stay and make the food and just be with each other and raise our kids and trying to uh, mother them. And that all comes with so much feeling and feeling you only um, share through communication, right? So if anyone needed help or you need help, you just voice it. While males is completely different. They were in charge of hunting and doing like all of this um yeah a lot of the what we know as like the macho things right and yeah. talking about your feeling was so suppressed because that is not important when you have to provide for your family or where you when you have to do all of these hard things um and down the line it it people started to see it as a sign of weakness which is so untrue a sign of weakness is actually just repressing that because you feel so ashamed of sharing something that you just don't do it it takes a lot of courage and this is something that I feel so so bad for men that they have this feeling that they just cannot share something that is painful or that they're going through something that involves I don't know um, shame or embarrassment because they think that they can uh, be seen as weak and we don't, as women, we don't care about that. We are seen as weak already somehow. So it's like, we don't care. We just, ha we're just going to build our communities. And it just feels so good to be able to call your friend or seek support when you need it the most. It is so necessary, especially for your mental health. So for the guys out there listening, go get yourself some girlfriends or start doing it with your guy friends and you're not going to die. It's the nicest feeling ever. It really is. It's like a weight being lifted off your shoulders. I mean, yes. if you think about it, like when we're when we hide things or like repress emotions and we feel shameful of them, like that gives that thing power over us because we're not willing to talk about it. But if we could just willingly talk about it 
with no shame, the, the weight of it just completely decreases and then it doesn't have any effect over you. I've yeah. had this experience recently um, and it's been by talking to three different girlfriends over the past couple of weeks about binge eating. So I had had a problem with it for like probably a year and a half. And I never told anybody because guys don't really talk about that. Right. And so I, I opened up to one of my girlfriends about it like two weeks ago. turns out she had the same exact thing. So we set up like an accountability system. Like it's been awesome. And then over the past two weeks, two other girls have somehow came to me and told me like they, they want to set up this accountability system. And I'm like, wow, like, now that I'm so openly talking about it and like, I'm talking about it on a podcast, like I never thought I would. I have not done it since I've talked about it openly. It's so interesting. Like once we just, once we unapologetically express like what we're going through, we have a tendency to not do it anymore because we don't feel shameful over it. That is so powerful, Jack. And I think that it's, first of all, thank you for sharing that because I think that, not many people talk about these topics that feel shameful, right? Uh, but I think it's, you hit the nail right there. I mean, you said it yourself, you, you voice it out and that thing no longer has control over you, but you have control over it, exactly. you know? So it, it just, I think that when we, when we keep things stored for too long, they tend to get bigger and bigger because we start to fear them more and more, right? But when we tell someone about them, and usually this is the most interesting part, is that almost every single time that you're going through a struggle and when you tell someone about it, people will relate to you some way or another. Maybe yeah. they don't have the, the, like the, the same experience, but they will say, hey, you know what? I had the same feeling at work. Or yeah, I had the same discussion with uh, with my partner or a girlfriend or whatever. And that makes that struggle that you had already, you don't feel um, overpowered by it because somebody else shares it. And I remember I, um, I took a course a long time ago at, uh, about mindful self-compassion. And it was super interesting because it's a technique that I learned and in one of the steps it's called hum common humanity and it usually says that when we're going through something something painful or something shameful we feel more alone than ever and what interesting is is that there are six million people in the world wait seven <laughs> and And the most interesting part is that there are 100, if I'm not mistaken, there are 130 negative emotions in the entire spectrum, and yet we recognize six of them. So it's six negative emotions, yet when we go through them, that everyone feels, and when we go through them, we just feel more alone than ever. So when we are reminded that somebody else is also struggling about this, is when we actually let go of that emotion. Does that make sense? Yeah, wait, so there's like six main emotions that like we identify like as negative, but there's actually from those six, it's actually 130 under that, like more specific. That are super specific, exactly. Okay. Exactly, in psychology, but we actually tend to recognize just frustration, sad, anger, rage, loneliness so it's actually not that many um but again um yeah we're just so connected and yet um when we feel like something bad has happened to us we feel like it is the worst thing that could have happened right because right. we feel so alone and yet again when you share it with someone uh, you actually let it go totally and i feel like putting putting labels on emotions can be, can be somewhat difficult at times. Like, because emotions are like internal, like chemical reactions in our body. And like, we're trying to assign words to describe them, which I feel like can be so difficult. Like sometimes I might think I'm feeling sad, but I'm actually feeling like frustrated. Like, how do you, I guess, how do you distinguish like between those six and maybe even through that 130, like how do you know exactly what emotion you're feeling? 
you first have to describe the situation. So for example, if you were working with me and you tell me, hey, you know what, I'm struggling with this. The first thing that we do is just walk through the entire situation. So you actually put yourself again in that position where something happened that you didn't like. So let's just say you had a fight with a, with a guy friend and then I usually ask questions. Where were you? What happened? What, uh, what did you guys say? And then after that, after that entire reflection, then you ask yourself, okay, so how do I feel? And then it's such a moment of reflection. It's like, yeah, I just feel like I, I'm disappointed in this person, you know, or, or he hurt me. He said that and it felt super hurtful. And um, I think that that's the best way to identify an emotion. And then after that, but it is necessary. It's one of the first steps. You have to be able to articulate how you are feeling in order to go through it. Um, it's very difficult to go through an emotion or go through a difficult process without knowing exactly how you feel. You need to be able to name it first and then and then you do the, the steps to go, go through it, yeah. Interesting. Okay. And sometimes I find it hard to articulate. So is that something like as a, as a life coach, like that's something you guide people through, like that you guide them to find exactly what it is they're feeling. Is that right? That's all we do, Jack. Interesting. <laughs> it's just that it is the most, uh, it's, it's the most interesting job ever because it's like people come to me and they're like, you know what, I have this goal, but I don't know how to do it. And then just through one single question, they come to this realization that, oh yeah, you know what, this is exactly what I can do. But my job is actually not to tell them what to do. It's just ask them good enough questions so that they can find the answers within themselves. Yes, that is such a fascinating way to look at it. Like everybody, and I would think this originally, like a life coach would just give you advice, but in reality, you're kind of acting as a mirror. You're just asking the right questions. So your client or the person you're helping is coming to the conclusion themselves. It, it's yes. so, I love it. That is exactly it. And it's the most entertaining job ever. But yeah, and sometimes you get thrown like curveballs and, and you think that your client is going to react some way and then they don't at all. And it's just the most rewarding job ever it's so interesting and entertaining and the the best part is that with every client you discover something new either about yourself or about people in general and it is yeah it's the most rewarding uh job i'm very happy with my career that's that's awesome and i feel like one thing you said there that made me really think was you said you learn through helping your client and I, I can't remember the exact quote but it's like the teacher learns more than the student by teaching and so what are like what are some of the main or maybe like what is one main takeaway or one lesson you've learned from coaching a client if you could think of any oh I think that we are way too hard on ourselves Really, I think that we, without fail, every single client that I've had has been extremely hard on themselves. And I look at them and all I think is like, you're on the right path, like you are doing good. And yet we always expect that we need to do more. And I blame this on hustle culture so much. And you see it on Twitter. It's like, how to be like uh, the 1% or 99% of the people fail and then be the 1%. And it's just, it comes with so much guilt, I would say. And so when people start to work on themselves, they always, they are like, they're on track, they have this good process, but they always feel like they're not doing enough. Mm -hmm. So I think that that is my biggest takeaway is that uh, people should learn to learn how to enjoy themselves and to know that life has faces and it takes time and you will always be learning and things will change and you will change. So not, not taking everything so seriously and that you don't have to do everything perfect. It's way better to, to meditate three, two times a week than none at all. 
right? At least you're doing something. Exactly. And I think for me, like I, I definitely fall in victim to that, like being too hard on myself. And I think a big thing that exacerbates that in a lot of people is social media because within yeah. your real life, like you're seeing a bunch of people doing a bunch of different things, probably at an average level, right? Like by definition, the like the average person you see on the street is average, but the people you see on social media often are at the top of the game. And so we compare ourselves to these people like that are potentially across the world. And then we hold ourselves to this standard when in reality, all you can do is just compare yourself to who you were yesterday and just improve a little bit every day. So I think, I mean, there's a great quote. It's like comparison is the thief of joy. So exactly. it's, it's very easy to, to compare ourselves to others. Like there's always going to be somebody younger than you, like doing better than you, who's better looking than you, making more money than you, getting more girls than you. Like it's always going to happen. So I think for anybody out there, a good solution to that is just stop comparing yourself to other people. I mean, okay, but we will never be able to do that though. Mm -hmm. psychologically it just doesn't happen it's something it's in our dna you will always be comparing yourself to someone else it's how it's how we learn behavior so you look at someone else what they're doing and then we try to imitate it and that's how we stayed in like safe that's how we were accepted in, in groups right mm -hmm. so there is this part of ourselves that we will never be able to change. Now, what you can change is how to be intentional about it and how to say, okay, wait a minute. I am comparing myself to this person. Is this giving me a good feeling? Like, is this helping me strive a little bit more that I can um, um, move forward? Or is this something that is making me feel really really bad especially with women for example that look at other women on instagram and it's body shaming and there's a lot of that which i guess guys have that as well um but the the key there is to be completely aware about it and see how far are you going with this comparison and the same thing it's about focus right are you focusing on other people and by the way just it's so interesting what you say in terms of uh, that we compare each other with people that are high achievers and but we don't know exactly how where are the details that got them there how much was um luck and um where were uh, what was their starting point it's completely different to ours so it doesn't make much sense to be comparing ourselves to them and yeah, again, just keeping the focus to yourself, where you are, what you need to do or what you can do or what you need to develop and keeping that focus um, within yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you really reframed and clarified what I said in a much better way. And now that I'm thinking about it, it's like when you compare yourself to, let's say, somebody who's doing better than you, you can either look at it in two ways. You could either be inspired by it or you could be like, I'm not doing enough. And maybe maybe it's a little bit of both. But I think when you see another person out there doing something that you wish to do, it can give you hope. Like if this person can figure it out, I can figure it out. That's what I try to do on Twitter. Like when I see these big accounts, it's like, OK, these people like what what did they what do they know? What are they doing that I can't do? And I think it can be inspiring. But also it comes with the consequence of like, oh, they're just better than me, you know? So I think it's it's bridging that line or like bridging that gap. Yeah, it just, and just choosing, this is what I always tell uh, my clients, is choose your focus, right? So you have someone before you or you're looking at someone and exactly what you say, you either can choose to be inspired by them and say, hey, this is so cool. There is someone who has someone kind of like the same background as I have, and they got so far, which means that I can do it as well. Or you can say, oh God, like we have the same background and look where he is, you know, there's no way that I'm ever gonna be there or I'm not good enough. So choose your focus. It is possible, but it takes practice and it's not easy. I mean, we we have good days and we have bad days. We just have to be very compassionate um, with ourselves and um, 
yeah, again, it 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 takes uh, a little bit of practice to get into that right mindset and just keep focusing on the on the positive. Definitely. And I think uh, this like topic ties really well into the next thing I wanted to talk about. So like I was reading your I'm reading your Twitter bio right now. And it's oh. like, I help insecure women overcome imposter syndrome, procrastination and find their strengths so they can become confident in who they are and build a life of meaning. So I was wondering, like, can we like break that down like bit by bit and talk about like each part? Because I find so, sure. so insights in that. Um, maybe sure. first we go with imposter syndrome. So in your words, like what is imposter syndrome and how, how do you help women overcome it? Um, okay, so in a nutshell, imposter syndrome is just self-doubt. And this is very important for me uh, that people, other people know is that imposter syndrome is not a diagnosis. There is not one psychologist who will tell you you suffer from imposter syndrome, like you would suffer from depression or anxiety, et cetera. Imposter syndrome is just something that we named for when we know that we have all the skills to do something, yet we still feel that we're not good enough. So basically, it's just self-doubt. And we all experience it. We all suffer from it in a way in different situations. And of course, it mostly comes to our, in our professional life. What are we good at, right? What are our skill set? And how I go about it is, again, redirecting the focus. So when you, when you have this self-doubt, when you have imposter syndrome, you are focusing way more on what other people might think, right? So uh, am I doing a good job? What are they going to think of me? Um, um, so you're, again, your focus is just right outside of yourself. But when you redirect it to yourself, so what are my strengths? And this is where I do my job, right? So I help clients find their strengths and then how to use them in those kind of situations, which is super interesting and super cool because when you start to develop this uh, in this process, you figure it out that some people are really good with humor, for example. Like I have funny clients and I'm like, okay, so how can you use humor in this kind of situations? And using your your signature strengths can help you get out of any difficult situation because it's easy for you. So yeah, that's basically how I go about it. I think that's such a cool way to look at it. Like you fix imposter syndrome by redirecting your focus. I've never heard it like that, but I wish I did a couple of years ago because that would have helped me so much. Uh, <laughs> has there been a situation in your life where you felt imposter syndrome and how did you overcome it? all the time jack yeah. <laughs> it's like uh it's a part of me i i it's so funny because i had uh i had a session one time and my client was like how do you know so much about insecurity and i was like because i'm professionally insecure like <laughs> it's <laughs> it's something that i uh yeah that i i suffer okay i i know i said that i cannot be diagnosed with it but i suffer from it as well um I know it pretty well. I just, if you think about it, like so many coaches have this, um, have this background that they came out of the corporate world and um, they decided to help other people. And to, for me, it's, it's like, I came out of a kitchen. I'm, I'm just a chef. And to come to this world was, came with so much self-doubt. It was like, who am I working 10 years in, in kitchens? Um, of course, I, ha I had my good education and everything in school, but um, but I went for a job that is way more, more technical. And then I was facing uh, this new world and imposter syndrome almost ate me up. So there was one entire year that I could not post anything on social media because I thought to myself, well, who's going to care? Who's going to believe me? Um, but it wasn't until that I discovered myself strengths that it was absolutely, I can do this. And mine are people. I am very good by at building community and communicating and making friends. That is something that I both enjoy and I know that I'm good at. So I decided to use it. And it's the way that I, 
I'm building my my business right now. So yeah. That's awesome. And it, it makes me think about something one of my professors said a couple of weeks ago. I'd be curious what your opinion is on this. He says, he says, rather than try to like fix all your weaknesses, ignore them, just cover them up and just focus on your strengths. Like, what do you think of that? Because it kind of sounds like that's a little bit how you manage imposter syndrome is just like focusing on what you're good at and using that to your advantage. Yes, but I would never say ignore something ever. So for example, in terms of weaknesses, what I have found to be incredibly helpful is to actually point them out. So be open about them, be open about your struggle. So uh, to me, for example, something that I struggle with is um, public speaking. I get incredibly nervous. I don't enjoy it. I English is not my first language. So I have little moments where I just lose my train of thought or I don't find the word and that makes me uh, very, very insecure. So what I do uh, every time that I have a, a situation where I have to speak publicly, it's the first thing that I will start with. So it's just out of the way. So I would just say, uh, thank you for being here. Um, I am very honored, but I need to say this. I usually voice my insecurities before beforehand. So, and then I say what I just said, right? So English is not my first language. So if you hear me losing my train of thought or whatever, this is what will happen. And that just takes the pressure off. And then that's it. Then it's completely done. And I think that if people were more honest and open about their insecurities, they will also allow other people to be honest and open about theirs. And it would make such a better world, right? How would you feel if you met someone at a party and they would just say, um, I'm incredibly nervous to be here, or I'm so afraid of being here. And then what, what do you do to that? You just, it just opens up your heart and it's like, hey, don't worry about it. I'm here with you. Like you would never judge someone for saying that. You would actually be grateful. And it's such a, um, what do you say that? Like breath of fresh air, like people yeah. that are very open about those. So no, I, sure, focus on your strengths. Absolutely. But don't ignore your weaknesses. Be open about them, invite them in. And um, eventually they do go, like they lose their power. What we were sp speaking about before, right? right? As long as you voice something out, uh, it just, um, yeah, it just leaves your body somehow or makes it way, way easier to, to deal with. Definitely. And I think the example you gave of like, if somebody was at a party and said that, I would instantly be like, oh my gosh, like, like don't be nervous like it's okay like we probably engage in such a deeper conversation right yeah. somebody who is just like trying to act like they weren't phased by anything they're just too cool for everybody so I think exactly. it's such an interesting dichotomy it's like the more open and vulnerable you can be in a way the the stronger the connection to other people can be as well so I love exactly. that I think it's such a great reminder um the next part of your bio that I wanted to talk about um, was the procrastination aspect. So how do you teach your clients to overcome this? Okay, so one very important point is that people mistake procrastination with laziness. And that is the biggest mistake that they can do because laziness is just a label. It's just a negative label. And so many people say, oh no, I've been just, I've just been lazy this week or I didn't send that email because I don't know, um, I was just too lazy. And laziness is, uh, I'm sorry, uh, procrastination is an emotional problem. It's not a time management problem. So first of all, you need to, okay. So do you do you want to hear like the 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 steps that I go through in order to? I would love to because <laughs> I I want to become better at procrastination myself. Okay, um, so this is the first step. So first, you need to identify what is the task that you are procrastinating with. So for people, is um, it can be from. I don't know, I keep track on eating healthy, for example, or exercise and other people is just, I don't know, writing papers or um, 
um, answering emails at work, etc. So first of all, what is the task that you think um, um, you're being lazy about, right? Um, okay, so people didn't see this, but how do you call this in English? Oh, like quote, like quote, thank air, you. Air, quotes, <laughs> air quotes, yes. Air quotes, uh, exactly. So first of all that, what is the task that you think you're being air quotes lazy about? Um, and secondly, what do you feel about it? So when you're not going to the gym, do you feel what kind of resistance? Do you feel like you are getting anxious? or does the task bore you? So you have to put what we said before, right? You have to put a name to it. And then what do you do when you are avoiding the task? So do you watch TV? Do you go out with friends? Like what is your numbing mechanism? And then after that you have that identified, you just go through a couple of questions. So. So imagine if you go do that task, what is the worst thing that can happen? And then you start to realize like, hmm, actually, not that bad can come out of it, right? Or what is the benefit if you go to the gym or you start eating a little bit healthier or you actually finish those e emails? What is the benefit of it? And then people start to think like, ah, oh, yeah, actually, I would feel much lighter, you know? I would feel... Um, maybe more optimistic, I would feel like I got something done. And then when they when you start to see the positive side of it, then you get a little bit more motivated. And what we usually do is in order to make it manageable, we break the task into sections. So you can see it as a Pomodoro, for example. So if you have to write a paper that you've been avoiding or you have to do this big presentation, you will do it. Or if it's something like more on the personal side, like we said, like going to the gym or something like that. What if you just start with 10 minutes or just walking outside or um, I don't know, just doing like a little stretch? Because that is something that people also forget. So sometimes we see a task so incredibly threatening because it feels and it looks so big, right? It's just, I'm going to the gym, but going to the gym means like being two hours in there or making the presentation means like finishing it fully and having it doing it like perfectly when it's actually not like that. You can, you can start really small and that makes your brain look at it in a non-threatening way. So yeah, that is pretty much how you beat procrastination, but it's an entire process, of course. I just wrote all those steps down. I'm going to like, like put this on a sticky note on my wall or something, because this is, this is great frameworks to think about. I can send it to you. I have it. Uh, I have it very well explained. I'm going to send it to you and then you can. Uh, yeah, it's, it's way better explained and more, more detailed. Okay. Is it on, is it like on your website or anything or is this more mm -hmm. just like first? Okay. Gotcha. It's what I use with my clients. So you, you're getting, um, VIP. Okay, okay, perfect. <laughs> Sounds great. I appreciate it. Um, but two two things you said that was super interesting. So you were like, when there's a big task, like it seems so overwhelming that you don't even want to start. Like if you have a big project or presentation, or like you have to go do this really hard workout or like run a really long distance for your workout, like it's like, oh, I don't even want to start because it just seems so overwhelming. But if you just break it down into little sections, like it's so much more manageable. And I was talking to a friend about this yesterday at school because we're in finals right now um, for the mm -hmm. quarter. And he was like, dude, I'm so behind. Like we were watching a football game last night and he was like on his computer, like kind of working like a little bit. Um, but he was like, dude, I'm so behind on this paper. And I was like, oh, when's it due? He's like, Wednesday night. I'm like, bro, you have like, you have like five days left. And then he's like, yeah, but it's, it's like eight to 10 pages. And I'm like, and he's like, I haven't started it just because it's so much. And I'm like, dude, like, think about it this way. You have five days to write eight to 10 pages. Just write a page and a half or two pages a day, like make it more manageable. You can even break it down even more, like write half a page at 9 a.m., write the second half of the page at noon, 
that just break it up, make it more manageable for yourself. I think that's such an important lesson. And exactly. the second thing that I love that you said was the word resistance. And I find it so interesting that you said that because before this call, we, I had mentioned briefly to you that I was reading this book called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And that entire book talks about beating procrastination, basically, and doing your work. And he talks about that phenomenon where you don't want to do it as the resistance. And the whole book is, is based around that word, the resistance. And so I found it like so interesting that you said that. Yeah, I know. I, I also like that word a lot. It's, it's just a definition of something that you want to do or you don't want to do, but you know that you have to, yet you find ways of not doing it. It's just like, it's this constant battle that you have inside your head, right? And at the end of the day, I think that we are very good at catastrophizing. Is that a real world yes. word? Um, um, what needs to get done. It's like, it all, it feels like the end of the world, right? Everything feels just so difficult. But yet when you see it from another perspective, like what's the worst thing that can happen or what are the benefits that you're getting out of it? Um, yeah, you just find another reframe, which makes it much, much easier to, to deal with. Yeah. And a side note, like that word catastrophizing, I would just made me think like English is your like, I think second or third language you said. Yeah, I mean it's it's my it's my second, but I do speak three. Yeah. Well, it's just fascinating because I feel like you have a richer vocabulary than I, and I grew up <laughs> as a native speaker. So, like Thank another thing, like I know you said sometimes with public speaking, like English is not your first language, etc. Like your English is phenomenal. Like. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. I, I do have a little bit of perfectionism there, which is not good, by the way. People tend to use it as a uh, something to glorify uh, their parts. But I, yeah, it's something that stops me from doing things sometimes. And yeah, I, I tend to, to, I, I yeah, I enjoy speaking other languages and I, I, yeah, I just like to to feel eloquent and when I don't then of course the public speaking self-doubt and everything that's where it comes from yeah that makes sense but shouldn't it your English is really phenomenal um thank you but so I think to wrap it up I really want to talk about a little bit about the ending of your bio on Twitter it says helping women become confident in who they are and build a life of meaning so what does that mean to you? Like building a life of meaning, how can one do that? Oh, just by being true to yourself, just by knowing what you want and what feels good. So my entire life, I spent it as a people pleaser. I, I was raised to be very agreeable, very submissive, very feminine. I come from this Latin culture where women have to be very nice. That's where our self-worth comes from. And then I realized that at a moment in my life that I had made all my decisions based on that. And you cannot say yes to everything just because you want to be nice. But that was what I was doing. And the moment that I started to gain self-confidence in who I am and what it is that I want to do is when my life started changing. Um, so changing my career and divorcing and all of that. And, and that's when, when my, my life of meaning started to, to grow and, or being born. Um, and that's what I would like others to do as well. I think that we are so fixed on following social norms and what people expect of us and what other people are going to say. It's, I feel like we're just living super scared and also trying to appear a certain way that is just not aligned with us. And um, what I want to be able to do with my clients is exactly the opposite. It's just again, going inward, focusing on your strengths, what it is that you want to achieve, but also that being very aligned with your values and how you really want to live your life. Do you want to have children? 
no okay then don't have children right so do you want to have a career that is not uh on the conventional side or whatever do you want to be a little bit more on the wild side then do it you know as long as you're being authentic about it then why the hell not right yeah that is such a great way to put it like i've i've been having such a similar realization lately I grew up like very agreeable as well and like wanting to please everybody, especially probably like parents. Um, yeah. That came through sports a lot. So like my whole identity was through sports and like I wanted to be perceived as a certain way by like peers and family and like other me members of the community as like this athlete. But once I stopped caring about that and just doing what I wanted to do, like starting to write these newsletters and like start a podcast and like write on Twitter every day feels so much more meaningful. And it's only because I'm doing what I want and I don't care what other people think. And I think it's so easy to get so wrapped up in what your image is like and like what other people are thinking of you, but such a powerful reframe that I've had in my head is like, nobody actually really cares that much what you're doing. Like everybody's so yes. focused on their own image and what they're doing. So why not just live, live to your passions and live to your fullest? Yeah, absolutely. And also, again, you serve as an example, right? So when you are living this, this authentic life and you're doing the things that actually spark this fire in you, what about the, the other people that live, that are close to you? They see, oh, you know what? Jack is doing something that he really likes and he's super happy and he's actually doing a good job because naturally we do good job at things that we enjoy, right? right. right. So people are get like this, um, get contagious about the fact that we can have this life. So it's kind of, I don't know, it, it kind of serves these two purposes. One, you being happy and helping other people be happy as well. So I think that that is the biggest contribution that we can give to the world. Um, it's just li li uh, living authentically so that other people can do so as well. 100%. And I'm thinking of a quote by Naval, like one of my favorite influencers and thinkers. And he's like, everybody in the world is the best at one thing. Every single person in the world is the best at one thing. And that's being themselves, being their authentic self. So exactly. I think that's a great place to end the conversation. Yes. Um, but really quick before, before we hop off, um, if somebody was interested in finding your stuff or interested in getting coaching from you, where could they, where could they find you? My website is um, on my Twitter bio, so they can just click on that. And there I have a scheduling system. They can schedule a free phone call where we just get to meet each other and um, they can ask me questions. Of course, I ask as well questions if we, um, um, if we can work together uh, well. And also I have, again, I don't know how many women you have in your, in your audience, but for the women of the audience, I am building a workshop for the first week of November, sorry, the second week of November, uh, January, January, I'm sorry, not November, January 9th, um, about effective communication and being more assertive. So it's basically how to talk confidently, it's how yeah. to be able to say no, thank you, and not being so agreeable and uh, yeah, just tapping into your, your own needs. So yeah. Is that is that program strictly for women? Yes, and I am so I'm I'm thinking right now um that uh to open it up for men as well. But um no pressure. Do whatever do whatever you think is is correct. I know it's like important to focus in on one specific niche. I just know like I could use that. I could use that a bit. <laughs> and I think that of course, and I think that men men could use that as well. I think that I will do a second one that it's going to be open. Yeah. I just want it to be a little bit more of a safe circle because the thing is is that women are a little bit more um feel a little bit more uncomfortable with saying no. Mm -hmm. Um so yeah, but it is going to come up. It's something that I am deeply passionate about. It's just um, being able to respect your needs, set your boundaries, and being able to voice them. 
And one more thing, what this course is good for is that it can change every single relationship that you have, either at work, with friendships, with your family, with your children. So it is, it is very, 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 it's a great tool to learn. So, yeah. That's so exciting. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to the second session for sure. I will let you know. I will let Maybe. you know. And I will send you the, um, the procrastination um, technique to try Sounds it. Sounds amazing. I'm looking forward to it. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, hop on here. It was an awesome conversation. Thank you for having me. I agree. It was it was very good. You did so good. Thank you. You too. <laughs> Thank you.